Hey guys, welcome to Performance Anxiety. Tonight's show features a singer for the giraffes, Aaron Lazar. He's had multiple heart attacks, been defibbed on stage, and his guitarist was shot in the leg by an off-duty fire marshal slash coke dealer. You can't miss this episode. The new giraffes album will be out August 2nd. Pre-order it because it's amazing. Follow them on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. We have stuff for sale at performanceanx.threadless.com, so go buy something. And pay close attention because the stories come really fast on this episode. Here's Aaron Lazar of the Giraffes. All right, this is Aaron Lazar from the Giraffes. You're listening to Performance Anxiety. Desktop is having a melt. You see this like weird flicker going on? Yeah, every once in a while. That's my desktop. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, shit. I have no idea what the hell happened. Oh, man. Well, at least we don't have to worry about you recording your end of it. Right. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. This is, thank you. Oh, that's a nice tune. Yeah, restart just hit. <laughs> um, <laughs> so apologies. Uh, oh, no problem. No problem, man. So let's talk, man. What, what would you like to talk about? Yeah, I appreciate you you doing this. Uh, no problem, man. Kids got to bed okay? My wife is handling that. So, <laughs> How old are uh, they? I've got a two-year-old and I've got a four-year-old. Oh, so, wow. So I'm tired most of the time. I remember those days. I've got a, a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 16-year-old. Uh, you did the you did the three Irish twins. Yeah, the kind of family I'm from too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my parents were just exhausted all the time for like a few years. And yeah. They, you know, they got it back. They got the groove back. Yeah, that's what that, I'm. I'm going through that right now. I get. Uh, yeah, I had three in diapers at the same time. Yeah. Which is, I, I don't recommend that for anybody. But no. <laughs> I mean, I love my kids. I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. But man, that's tough. But yeah, now now one's out with her boyfriend, and the other one's out with my wife, and my son is downstairs playing video games. So <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, uh, I've been giving the new album a listen, and it is awesome. I love it. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. And I'll I will come out right off the top and say I've known about the drafts for a while, but it was one of those I got. Oh, I like that song. I got to get the album, and then. Something would happen and I would just forget or not get it. And it's yeah. been to my detriment because I've been going back and listening to those albums and to the, to the one that's coming out. And it's just fantastic. It's, Thank you very much. The new album I, I like a lot because it just kind of slides right in with the rest of them. You know, it just, it's just you guys have a great sound and, and you're not you're not monkeying with it. A lot, a lot of times bands after, you know, four, three, four five albums. Hey, let's try something that's a l- little different. And it's just, it's, I can, you know, you can definitely hear progression, but it's definitely the giraffe sound. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the instrumentation, the, how can I put it? Damien, the guitarist is probably the most identifiable, you know what I mean? Like yeah. sound and style of like the whole, like he's kind of the guy who drives the sound of everything. Um, and he is an autodidact. So he taught himself how to play upside down and backwards. Wow. So he plays a right-handed guitar left-handed. So that means like his low string is up in the high position. Okay. Yeah. So and other people who played that way were like people like Dick Dale, um, I think Link Ray also. Jimi Hendrix started that way, but then flipped around the correct way at a certain point. Yeah. Because he's Jimi Hendrix. Oh yeah. <laughs> he he um, can play with strings however the hell he wants, and it'll still sound yeah, amazing. Yeah, exactly. Um, but 
that approach because he just sort of learned that way it definitely colors like you know his sound and his tone and he definitely has a very sort of like he's got a wheelhouse that he wants to be in most of the time yeah um and i'm the force in the band that's constantly trying to make everyone uncomfortable (laughs) and, and push them a little bit further than they would like to go into like weird weird areas like there's nothing that's too weird for me for my ear, like the That's more awful. extreme, the better. Um, but the band being what it is, it's 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 a group, it's a unit. It's not like it's. I think I can count on my hand. I maybe two or three songs in the entire career of the band have ever just sort of shown up and been accepted by the group without being totally reworked in oh, every wow. conceivable way. So everything is like fought over. Yeah. <laughs> so. For better or for worse, that that I think lends itself to a certain kind of like musical, like a sound, like a stability, like that means that things wind up sort of sounding more or less the same because you've got four people arguing it out and keeping it in a certain range. The range, like the 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 saying is, is that oh hi Vega, <laughs> hi, this is, this is my daughter. Hi. 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 Oh my You're goodness. Supposed to be in bed. How are you doing? You doing good? Yeah. Yeah, okay. you want you want to be on the show for a minute? I play with Kaylee. You okay. did? Yeah. <laughs> Give me one second. Yeah, I'll yeah, take your time, man. Bed. Take your time. No. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, that was sweet. <laughs> I'm done with this. Uh-oh. <laughs> Sorry, one more time. No problem, man. No problem. I keep thinking of that meme of that guy, like, on the BBC with, like, the kid, like, you know, like, trundling yeah. up. And, like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> that's, why I, that's why I got this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking water. Oh, no. So, yeah. Man. Yeah. I have uh, I've gone over a year without having a drink, but it, I, it oh, started congratulations. some health. Well, it, it you know, like I'm not, you know, it's not. I guess I don't know. I just I lost five pounds, and that's nice. And that was you good. Know, yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I might have a drink again sometime soon. I don't know. Whatever, no big deal. Taking a casual. And a big, I got a squirt for, for a for a medical reason. I was on blood thinners for a while. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And anytime you're on blood thinners and you try to drink, it just you skip the fun stuff and go directly to just vicious hangover oh, instantly. Man. So yeah, so it was just it was not cool. Oh man! All right, so and I've I've got to clear this up for my daughter. Yeah, you are not the dear Evan Hansen, Aaron Lazar. No. Yes. No, I'm not. I'm not that guy. <laughs> I'm glad you know about that guy. Though. Yes. He. Uh, he. Yeah. <laughs> my yeah, he my daughter made sure I know. No, and my daughter loves Dear Evan Hansen, so I know all about this. Yep. No, he is. Uh, he is the better looking, more successful man. <laughs> but you're the cooler, harder rock version of yeah, him. Yeah, I'm the edgy. Yeah, I'm the. I'm the indie him. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now you didn't start off in bands, you know. When you you ended up, you, well, ended up. You started off going to school for sculpture. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, right. I got a I got a degree in sculpture at from Kent State University. Bang bang. Hey, and, um, and home of Nick yeah, Saban. And, 
Nick Saban. I'm terrible with names. So Nick like, Saban, man. head coach for the University of Alabama Crimson Tide football team. That would explain why I didn't know. Yeah. Who <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, Northeast Ohio, man. Like I grew up in Youngstown, home of Jim Trestle. I know that name. Yes. Right. Like, oh, yeah. the, I know he's supposed to be like a big deal in football, but like Northeast Ohio is very much like football, like, you know, the Hall of Fame's there. Like that's, that's. Oh, yeah. I got a good buddy from Youngstown. Yeah. Oh yeah. Who's your friend? <laughs> His name's David Mills. He's uh he's out in California now, but. Okay. Can't say I know, but again, yeah, terrible names. So. He's a few years younger than me. I mean, I mean, I'm like my mid four. He's probably like in his early thirties at this yeah. point. So, okay. but uh, he's a good guy. Got to throw that out there. He just got married about a year ago. So, congratulations, Mr. Mills from Youngstown, Ohio. Yeah. All right. So how so how did you get into sculpture and art? Is that something you you always wanted to do, or for sure? Yeah. When I was like a little kid, like that's that was the only thing I really ever saw myself doing was oh, that. Really. Uh, so, I mean, you know, like, I was like, wait a minute, you know, there's people who can draw dinosaurs for a living, like, and that, like, you know, it's like, yeah, duh. and that sort of like, you know, metamorphosed over time into, into going to art school and stuff, which, you know, I, I did my undergrad at Kent State, and then I got a partial scholarship to go to NYU for grad school, and I got into a relatively small program there that gave me studio space in New York City, which I later found wow. out was almost, was almost impossible to get in New York City. Yeah. So um, I took out a bunch of student loans to go to grad school, um, and I basically went to undergrad for free, uh, and I went to grad school. And then, of course, you know, I came to New York. My undergrad education at Kent State served, has served me a really, really well. My graduate education was a total wash. Oh. Like there was like, <laughs> I, I didn't really learn anything new except that I didn't really want to be in the art world in New York. Oh, really? You know, like that was an important thing to learn, I guess. And I learned that it's, I don't know if it was worth 60, 70 grand, but <sighs> you know, that's, that's what I learned. Yeah. Well, so, uh. I know the feel. I mean, I, I went to school in Rochester for uh, photography and, mm -hmm. uh, I kind of learned that formal education in photography was not where I belonged. So, right. and uh, I mean, I ended up being a, a pro for about a decade, a little over. And then kids came and we needed insurance. And my wife had a, we had just gotten married. So she had a, she had a good job, had insurance. I didn't. And she wanted to stay home with the kids. Man, yep. I had to get a job with insurance. <laughs> yep. So that, that kind of changed my career path, but. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's life. That's life in America these days. Yeah. So now, all right. So now how did you go from being a, an artist, a sculptor to sculptor? Is that right? Is that sculptor? Uh, uh, whatever. That's a guy. That, uh, <laughs> let's call it a fancy pants carpenter. All right. A fancy like, pants carpenter. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. Were you, were you playing in, in any bands at this time or? So I had like a couple half-hearted, like just screwing around fun things that I did in high school with some friends of mine. And then when I went to college, I was like, no, I'm just going to do art and that's it. And then I, I just went to shows a lot. And okay. luckily for me, Kent State at the time, uh, just weird stuff coming through so much so that even to this day, like when like a new 
you know, like a new sound or like a new spin on a genre will like happen, I invariably find myself going, oh, yeah, that's what this weirdo did in Kent back in 1993. <laughs> I remember that. Like, this is this is the pro version of that. So, yeah, OK. Um, yeah, it's it's just crazy. We were just really, I, I, you know, I, I always assumed that it was like that at every art school. But as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that it's not. And I guess we were just really lucky to be there at that particular time. A friend of mine, Tex Kirshen, who's in um, Indian jewelry, he lives in Houston now. But he, <laughs> he, he grew up in Houston and then he went to school in Kent State and then he went back to Houston. And he's like, I don't know, man, when I came back to Houston, it was as if I had descended from the clouds with like the <laughs> knowledge of the gods as far as like music was concerned because nobody was doing nothing down here. Oh, man. Like, wow. All right. So, so, so let me ask you a question. I, I kind of want to compare a little bit since we both have some um, artistic school background. Yeah. The atmosphere at Kent at that time, because I think you and I, it, from what you were saying, it sounds like we were in school around the same time in the early 90s. Yeah. Uh, was it a very um, open place, uh, uh, exchanging ideas and how to do things and uh, it's yeah it felt that way to me it felt like there was uh, the good thing about kent is that it felt like there was at least in the sculpture and the fine art program and maybe this is due to it being sort of like in the rust belt but there was sort of like two major pushes one one side of the coin was here's functional knowledge like here's how you weld here's how you like cast in like bronze and like iron or whatever. Okay. Here's how you like carve stone. Here's how you carve wood. Like, here's how you do shit. Right. You know what I mean? Like they'd show you, here's how you do stuff. And then they would also have like, you know, theoretical seminars and stuff like that. Like, here's how you think about things. Okay. And, um, the doing stuff is like fine. I mean, I, I, I still know how to do a bunch of stuff, which is nice. Um, but the theoretical framework, and this is something that I think had has since I think it was out of fashion at the time that I learned it. And I think it's completely almost gone now. But it was an idea of like a true formal creative formalism. And I think that might have been the last gasps of it um, okay. where I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, what's the name of the guitarist from Daughters? He he speaks in these terms, too. I saw an interview with him and he's like, oh, this is, you can just you can just be purely a formalist in music right now. And I was like, that's interesting. I haven't heard anyone talk like that since art school. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, though, the idea of like, oh, you can recognize formalism is sort of to me is sort of like recognizing the verbs in the sentence more than recognizing the nouns, like not what this is, but what it does and okay. figuring out how to employ what it's doing to get you the desired effects that you want, as opposed to looking at what it is. Okay. That makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I don't know, that's might be an obtuse way of like putting it, but so that for me, compositionally and like in terms of like artistic practice and stuff like that means that, you know, I'm always, I'm not tied to style as much as most other people are. And I'm always willing to sort of like shake it up a bit more probably than the rest of the drafts are. Okay. So, so that means that like, I'm the guy that they go like, I made this opus and I'm like, cool. Chop, chop, chop. Yeah. <laughs> Throw away, burn. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like play it backwards. Yeah. Play it on a piccolo. And they're like, fuck you. I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> Just try it. So, Come on. Yeah. 
So, see, my my experience in at, at RIT was a little bit different in the fact that the teachers were good with the technical stuff, but when it came to creative stuff, they were and and the students also not as open and sharing techniques. Um, I remember seeing some stuff. So what we we would do is because this is back in the days of film, yeah, <laughs> way back when. I remember we would have to shoot. 10 to 20 rolls of film for, mm-hmm. per project. First of all, that, that was breaking my back financially. I mean, cause yeah. you know, film's n- not cheap. You could develop it on your own, but if they wanted slides you couldn't really do that, it, it, you had to have somebody else develop yeah. it, which cost more money. And then you had to go into the darkroom and print whatever you shot, which took paper. The chemicals were free. Thank God. Which is one of the weird things. I always try to, when, when somebody asks me about, uh, being at RIT, you would go in and you would go to the to the uh, section where they had the dark rooms and all. And the weird thing is that they would have all the chemicals coming out of the walls like taps, like, like on be- spigot. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. so weird to me. I never, I never experienced that before. I'd always have to go and buy and mix it myself. And they had yeah. a little area called Chem Mix that would mix everything. And they'd put in these enormous vats and it'd just come out of the walls. Wow. Wow, so, well, I guess that's free. They 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 had a guy. Well, they, yeah, they had Kodak, which was great. Yeah. So, yeah. but when you was Kodak based in Rochester? Yeah, Kodak, Bosch, and Long. That explains it all. Then yep. okay, I didn't realize that. Unfortunately, I didn't get much of a break on film, but right. Well. But um, so what we would do is we would do a project, and you would have to pare ten rolls of film down to like three or four pictures. Yeah. And then the entire room would critique it. Your entire class would yep. go up, and they'd critique it. And I wasn't, first of all, I wasn't mature enough to take that, which is why I ended up leaving school. It's, but It's hard. It's hard to take that. Yeah. It, it really is. And then when I would see another classmate do something that I thought was great, I, you know, I, I'd say, that, I think this is awesome. How did you do that? I can't tell you. Why not? Well, well, you know, because I don't want you to get a better grade than I do. I, I kind of figured I had to. I, you, you got to figure it out on your own. Like, oh, go that's back. so lame. I, I heard stories about like Carnegie Mellon being that way. Like they yeah. would apparently, like they would grade on a curve where like only you know X number of students would get an A and X oh my number gosh. would get like a B, right? So that meant that like students would sabotage each other's pieces that's in awful. order to move themselves up in the ranking. That, I mean, that's a that's a decent segue into like music because there are bands that are like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. That will totally like rip you off as soon as they possibly can. But that, I, you know, what what's the fun in that? No, exactly. Like, yeah. Like, what's fun about that? Like, I don't understand. Like, they're, they're treating it as if it's like some sort of like platonic race to like some idea of perfection. To what though? It just doesn't exist. Like, exactly. you know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't. It doesn't work like that. Exactly. I mean, it's the, the to me, and and I'm a very, very, very amateur guitarist. I, I've basically Same taught my, myself, and uh, I've taken lessons for a grand total throughout thirty years of like six months. And yeah. but I like Doesn't to make a lot of right for me. Yeah, but I like to make a lot of noise. And for me, the fun is just creating the noise. Yeah, it's not too. trying to sound like anybody else. It's just creating the noise. Yeah. yeah. So, but tone shifting. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because most of what I do sounds like noise. There's a lot of feedback and all kinds of shit going on in the background. I've got my, I've got, I've got all kinds of shit that I don't d- deserve to have. I mean, I've got. So, well, I'm curious. Yeah. 
Have, do, are you using any of that like new modeling amp crap? No, no. I'll tell you because I I can record this my 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 show, but I for some reason I just can't seem to find it in me to record myself playing the guitar. So what I've all I've got I've got my best guitar is a Mexican Strat. So it's it's uh-huh. like a two hundred dollar guitar. Yeah. Everything else I've got is has been given to me, and it's it's a rip off of something else. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, ripping things off, but I've got uh, a Marshall HDFX 100 watt head, uh, Marshall uh, cabinet with four tens in it, and an Alesis classic. Yeah, and an Alesis Quadroverb preamp. And I love it because my favorite band back in the ni- early 90s was The Verve. And right, right. yeah, and that first album, Storm in Heaven, they got that shimmery shoegaze kind of sound, and yep. they that's what Nick McCabe used as an Alesis Quadroverb. Found one on eBay a few years ago for sixty bucks. I'm like, I'm getting it. So I grabbed nice. it, and now I can sound like the like the first Verve album. I can't do much else with it, but I can make the little shimmery sounds. Yeah, and, man. No, yeah. And I got a Proco Rat, and that's about all I've got. All right, yeah. I I in in other bands outside of the drafts, like I also I'll play guitar and stuff like that, and I've kind of fallen into like a rabbit hole of like modding guitars and like getting effects and like playing and i'm really getting upset with like spending so much money on effects <laughs> that are vintage effects that like always break yeah and i'm really tired of that yeah but at the same time like i'm afraid to go like the like fake modeling software style even though i know that's probably where i'm gonna wind up someday yeah like everyone's gonna wind up there oh yeah yeah you know and it's sort of like, uh, I don't know. I saw a great meme where it was like, you know, the, the two muscular hands, like one handing the other like a beer, yeah. you know, like a very like bro <laughs> way. And it's, it's like one hand, it says like guys under 14 and the other one is like guys over 50. And then the can says line six. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> like, it's so gonna be me i was like that sucks yeah oh my <laughs> god that's hilarious i haven't seen that one. Oh, like, yeah the problem is like like you're saying you know the vintage stuff it's it's not reliable and it's expensive yeah, yeah and when it breaks it's like fucking it's a bummer and it costs a ton of money to fix and yeah. it takes forever but when it's working there's nothing like it so yeah but then what do you do when you go on tour i mean do you want to you want to cart around this electro harmonics amp or uh, an, an effect from 1971 yeah. yeah there's a there's a pedal that i saw that i was recording with my other band and and the studio owner gave it to me he's like oh you might want to try this pedal and, and i plugged it in and played it and it was like that like moment you know when you hit Something yeah. you could just kind of go like, oh my god, this is so good. And and I was like, what is this? And he told me what it was. It's something called a Klon Centaur. I was like, this is amazing. I like, know no. that thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's like, it's for sale. I was like, how much is it? He's like, it's three thousand dollars. I was like, that is not happening. God. But um. Yeah, Klon, man, that's crazy. Oh yeah, those things sound so good. Yeah. Oh, did, um, I was at the. I was at a what the hell was I? I don't think I was at a guitar shop. I maybe in an antique store. It was, it was one or the other. And it the guy had an original Leslie rotating speaker cabinet. Oh, the cabinet. Yeah. 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 I was. I wanted to get that thing so bad, but I, I started thinking about it because it wasn't super expensive. Like, where the fuck am I gonna put that? 
Exactly. That's why they're so expensive because they're so inconvenient. Yeah. Everybody's like, what the fuck am I going to do with this thing? So they can't sell them. Exactly. I'm not a professional musician. I really have no business having a a rotating speaker cabinet. I'm I'm not going to do anything with it except for like a Hendrix chord once in a while, just go wow, right? Exactly. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many times, like, we the drafts have been on the road where, like, we're crashing at somebody's house. We're like, oh, Leslie, <laughs> <laughs> and none of those people are in bands, like, they're all just like hobbyists, and they're, they're always like, yeah, it's really cool. And I was like, yeah, no, they're like, yeah, but I never use it. Yeah, and it's like got plants on it and shit. It's like, of course. So yeah, it's always the people who aren't in bands that have that shit. They always have nice houses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's fine. Oh it gosh. So you go through the art school, um, and the giraffes have already actually put out one album before you joined them. Correct. So, how did you join up with the band? So I went. That same guy I told you about earlier, Tex Kershin. He was coming through New York with with a former band of his called Japanic. Uh, and at the time... That's a great name. Um, right. <laughs> at the time, uh, I was uh, in graduate school uh, because materials were so expensive. I was like, all right, I'm just going to do video and I'm going to do like weird confrontational performance art and that sort of <laughs> stuff. So I started doing that. Um, and he asked me to introduce the band. So I did so in like this like weird confrontational preacher persona sort of thing oh, just wow. as, as, as a laugh at, at cbgb's in the basement and uh damien and the draft saw that and they're like you know that's the guy apparently people have been telling them like you need a you need a front person and they're like oh i don't know i don't know i don't know because at that point they were just kind of sharing whatever singing they were doing between them right correct okay yeah yeah um, and I actually was a fan of theirs. When I first came to New York to go to grad school, I remember I would take whatever money I could have, you know, and I'd scrounge for like to get cover, uh, to just try to go out and just see as many bands as I could, because, you know, I, and I was getting very uncomfortable with the fact that like, I'm in New York where supposedly the music is, you know, it's New York. Yeah. And it was bullshit compared to like Kent. Like it was just a really? bunch of like, yeah, it was bullshit. It still is bullshit. (laughs) And, and, you know, like I'm going out as often as I could, like several times a week. I'm not buying any drinks. I'm just spending all my money on like covers just to like see stuff. And at the time there, you know, there there was internet, but they're not really, you know what I mean? Like you got to check the back of the village voice, you know, to figure out what's going on there. And you're going basically on that. And, you know, I'm taking a lot of like risks and gambles. And I spent the better part of like, a year and a half, two years going out to see shows. And I didn't like a single thing, you know, like I would just see stuff and I'd be like, okay, fine. But I I would like, this is sort of like a lamer version of something else I already know about. That's not that good. And then one of the first bands I saw that I actually was like, I've never heard this before was um, an early form of the drafts and another band that comprised, that was all the members of the drafts. And then a couple other people called the tarts. Uh, And they were kind of like, Oh, Oh, they were my gateway into like a scene that then that scene, like, I think there was another band called like Girl Harbor 
they gave the Strokes their first show. Oh, wow. I think, you know, like the Strokes. All right, kid, you can open up for (laughs) What are you, Julian? Casablanca, that's the fake name, isn't it? Well, the story is supposed. Now, this is not me. This is just what I heard. But supposedly, <laughs> like they did a residency with him. I want to say, I don't know, at some downtown club, and they they had somehow caught one of the guys in the Strokes like having sex with somebody or getting a blowjob or something like that backstage. <laughs> so they took a photo of like his butt, like his back, <laughs> and that was the flyer for the next show. <laughs> and. <laughs> And I guess, like, you know, he was not too happy about that. That's and his awesome. girlfriend at the time was not too happy. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jim, man, what the fuck? So, whatever. Um, apparently, also, like, Interpol opened up for the drafts at one point, but I have wow. zero memory of that happening. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, Damien is now fr- has been friends with um, the main guy. What's his name? Um, oh, I'm bad with that. I'm bad with I'm names. bad with names. Whatever the main guy. Yeah, um, <laughs> he's been friends with him for a while. Damien actually like went on a world tour with him, oh, like wow. guitar in his side project band. So that's really cool. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, no man, we like they opened up for us and we became friends. I was like, you may have become friends. I don't remember ever yeah. meeting these guys, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you meet up with the you meet up with the the, the band. They like yeah. they. They ask you to come in and I guess it's yeah. a, you guys jam for a little while first just to see if you guys work out and they, they, so they asked me, right. This was like over Christmas time. Right. So like, I think I went back to Ohio for the holidays. They gave me like a CD of demos of theirs. They're like, here, okay. listen to this. Let me know what you think. I listened to it in the car a little bit. And then after the holidays, I came back and went to Damien's apartment and uh they're like okay because they were practicing in damien's apartment at the time so they're like all right we're gonna run through some stuff they ran through it and they started playing i was like all right hold on i went into the kitchen and i wrote man you in the first like half hour oh wow And then from there on out, after about like two or three months, we had the first record written, more or less. Okay. And then it was like playing shows, getting our sound together. And I think we wound up recording it roughly about a year after that. Oh, wow. Um, oh, man. And then it took about another year for it to come out because that's right around the time 9-11 happened. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that slowed everything down. I remember like we were supposed to have like a big show or something. I forget with who, but it was one of those shows when you're starting up. You're like, this is a big deal show. Like, yeah. this is going to be great. And it was like on like September 14th or something uh, like that. And it's like, yeah, that was uh, um, Yeah, I was so, a, I remember that. Well, I remember... Uh, uh, my my wedding anniversary is October sixth, two thousand and one. So I and I had you know I lived in New Jersey for years, and like half of the people coming from to the wedding, I was in Alabama at the time. Half the wow. people coming to the wedding were from New Jersey, and we we had no idea if they're going to make it or not. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, that, I was a fan. Like that's that's how the first record kind of came together. Was it was just that fast, and the idea was much like the story of that like flyer thing. It was just at the time, of course, pre nine 11 at the time was to just be as snotty and as confrontational 
and as bad as we possibly could be while trying while attempting to keep the musicianship high of course (laughs) this is an era when everyone was tuning by ear no one knew that you could have a thing called the tuning pedal oh wow so yeah so like later on when they're when we were like trying to like remix the thing or like remaster it the engineer is like what key is this song and we're like i don't know (laughs) so he ran it into a like a pitch thing and he's like this is like some weird in between b minor flat like (laughs) The fuck were you guys doing? We were B flat and a half. Ear. Yeah, like we were we were tuning by ear. Oh like, my you know, god! Who knows? Um, That's wild. Yeah. Man. So now, so you, you're you're your shows. You're, you're playing a lot of live shows at this point. I'm, and now, are they all based in New York area? For the most part, yeah. Okay. Um, you know. Yeah, I've heard New some York kids who can't drive. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could drive, but I didn't have a car. So I've I've heard and and read some really wild reviews of some shows, and huh. it and I I believe some of them are actually on your website. Like, um, yep. seeing the giraffes live show is like getting shanked in the face with a soaring microphone. Uh, that let's see. The band and audience members alike went flying into the crowd with wild abandon. Beer and bottles of Jameson were passed. Aaron made a noose out of the mic cord, wrapped it around his neck, and gave it to the crowd to choke him while he forced lyrics past his collapsing trachea. Yeah, I did that. That sounds like a show I want to go to. Well, that was the idea. The, because at the time, um, I just remember, and this is probably in keeping with the story I told you, like going to spending like a year and a half going to as many shows as I could and just seeing like a bunch of people like taking themselves really seriously and like just being super precious about everything and super if they weren't being precious and fragile, they were being like kind of like corporate and mm. obviously like they're working for like attention, you know, they're playing to like the, the two or three A&R people in the room and that's what they're there for. You can kind of, you can kind of see that you can smell that. And I hated that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, of course that's what they were doing because they're fucking, they're not idiots. That's what you should do. Yeah. But, <laughs> At the time, I was coming from a place where, like, no one gave a shit about success. People were just in it for, like, the art the art, or the fun or the drugs or whatever. It I remember those times. And, yeah. Yeah. And and that just – that's that was what felt right. So that's what I wanted to sort of, like, do. And I really wanted to – I had a bad habit of the more – the more sort of attention that was professional attention that we would have at the time, the more I would just fucking try to alienate them and like piss them off. Very, 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 very much in the sort of like Marky Smith school of like, fuck you, except I'm not as smart as Marky Smith yeah. was. So, yeah, almost a, a Jim Morrison kind of vibe to you. I guess, yeah. That's unfortunate, but yeah, yeah that happened. <laughs> Now, what what time period is this? What what you like two thousand one through two thousand four somewhere around there? Yeah, roughly, I'd say like about that time, right around like two thousand four, we started touring. Um, the one thing about the drafts is that we've never had a booking agent ever. Oh, really? We've always done it ourselves. Wow. Um, for better or for worse, uh, we've had maybe two PR people, like one of which I, I'm assuming like contacted you or you got the contacts from. Yes. Um, so <laughs> yeah, like, uh, we've always pretty much done almost everything in our, our, ourselves, um, That's amazing. Down, down to like making merch ourselves. Wow. So, um, yeah. So the, touring meant like getting on the phone and like calling 
as many people as I could to like, you know, find clubs here and there. Uh, and then over time it got better and better. It got a little bit easier. So you guys splitting this duty up between the band? The first one was all me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man. So you um, just jumped in and took control. Not completely musically. And in fact, I still feel, even today, I still feel like I'm more of a arranger and consultant okay. uh, than um, like a fountain of, uh, what do you call it? Like, I'm not the one who comes up with most of the riffs most of the time. Okay. Most of the time, that's Damien. And Damien will come up with, like like I said, oh, here's a new thing I've been working on. And it, I'm not kidding you. It has, like, 15 parts to it, and it's, like, 12 minutes long. <laughs> and and I'm like, that's awesome. Let's take three of those. And he's like, fuck you. And I'm like, just take three of those. And, let's, you know, like that's that's a record. You know, like, let's break that yeah. up. <laughs> so is that how the most albums are made where, where they're coming in with the music and, and then you craft lyrics around that or are you contributing yeah. to the music? To most, to the large extent. Yes. That's usually how it works. Although I'm also editing, right? So I'm also sort of editing and arranging. Okay. So the basic working theory I have with the drafts at least, which I think holds true for most sort of like music that I feel is in our lineage, which would be like, metal and like riff rock and like that sort of stuff the riff is the thing the riff is the important thing that's at the center of the song like the riff is the is actually the lead and the lyrics like like talking heads say are just a way to trick you into listening to the melody and the melody is just something that is there to support the riff mostly okay I and mean, that's how it works in like stoner rock that's how it works in like heavy guitar driven rock it seems for the most part okay um so I've just been kind of trying to like lay in that sort of like cut, at least in terms of musically, like not on stage, it's a completely different thing. Like I have to be a ringmaster and like, you know, a front man and all that. Right. That's a different job. Um, but just purely musically, uh, you know, I'm only really writing lyrics now these days because it's stuff that like I find interesting or that I actually care about. And I'm really only writing for myself. Although I'm thinking more about like what that means as I'm getting older and and what I'm saying to people and that sort of stuff. Whereas before I was just sort of much more casual. Uh, but yeah, at, at best the singer should be able to, should be doing something that makes you want to sing along to it because I think that's what makes it catchy. Right? I, yeah, I would agree. You know, and the riff is really what is, that's the thing that's on that that's in charge of the song. Always. That's yeah, I get, because the riff is really what grabs you, makes you want to listen to it, and then because it's usually what you hear first, and then yeah, sure. when yeah. when the the melody comes in, it, like like the song "Romance" off the new album, uh, that that's an amazing. I think that's my favorite song. Oh, thanks. That's the that's one of the three songs that I have written entirely and played everything myself. Really, and brought to the guys. Yeah, that was all me. That, that that's it, it's it's amazing that that dirty, nasty sounding riff at the beginning, 
It's yeah. incredible. And your 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 singing just just brings the song up to it. Just enhances the song because it's really good. And what I what I like about it is that it's not you you have aggressive vocals and you have it, but you also actually sing. Yeah. And yeah, the melody in that song yeah. is absolutely beautiful. I absolutely love it. Thank you very much. So yeah. I, I'm you know listening to some of the past albums. You do hit this really interesting area between stoner rock and metal. It, yeah. It's a really great combination. I mean, I'm, I have to look at some of my notes here I got, as I'm talking to him, trying to flip through some of this stuff because I think I have some really neat things to say. Please. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm, it's uh, I, I did have you've got Golden Door, for example. Right. It's got this amazing '70s swagger to it. It sounds. It's got this this awesome big riff to it, complete with cowbell. It's fantastic. Yeah. It sounds like something between like Sabbath and Skinnerd. I love it. Right. Totally. Yeah. Like it's definitely Southern fried for sure. Oh yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Like when that riff came out, I was like, dude, just get the cowbell and like <laughs> just just do it. <laughs> you know? It's like it's like don't try to. Don't don't try to be too clever with this. Like just just go with it, man. Get the cowbell out and be proud of it, man. Yeah, man. Loud and proud on the cowbell, guys. Come on. So all right. So I want to go back a little bit. We this show I jump back and forth. This this whole sure. show is such a. It, I try to make it just a casual conversation between me and whoever I'm talking to. So, um, in 2005, you had two, is it two heart attacks and a seizure? Correct. What happened? I mean, you're not you're not a old guy you know what what was causing the heart attacks and, the, and the, the seizures i mean that's incredible so they don't know um they don't know they still don't know 14 uh, years later they don't know yeah no they still don't know. the thing is that like you know electrocardiology is a new field so there's a bunch of stuff that like they you know that they'll see that they can't classify i had a, I had a doctor tell me he's like listen this is after four or five years of like trying to find the reason for it and several like you know false positives and dead ends. And at the end of it, he goes, you know, I'm not saying that no one's ever had what you had. I'm saying they didn't live long enough to see a doctor about it. Wow. And I was like, okay, great. And I was like, so what am I supposed to do then about it? He's like, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my gosh. That's not what you want to hear from your doctor. Exactly. Yeah. So I went to a different doctor and then we spent like, you know, two years looking through everything. And I was just like, so what's the prognosis? He's like, I, you know, I, you're the only person I've ever seen with these symptoms. And, wow. and I've asked everyone I know, and you're the only person that any of us has ever seen with these symptoms. So, you know, maybe they'll figure it out someday. And if you're lucky, they'll call it, they'll name it after you. Oh, if you're <laughs> lucky. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> it's Lazar cool. syndrome. Right. Exactly. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So they don't know what it is. Essentially the mechanism of what happens is they don't. So I have ventricular fibrillation. That just means the ventricles is the bottom part of the heart. Okay. The, the atrium is the top part of the heart. Right. 
Right. The bottom part of the heart is the part that actually pushes the blood. The top part of the heart sort of like sucks it in from the lungs. Okay. So the bottom part of the heart is is the part that is doing most of the work in your body. That's the part of my heart that just seizes out and doesn't close completely. That's uh, what fibrillation means. It means okay. it just gets like super shaky uh, and doesn't fully contract. So when that happens, that leads to a condition they call sudden cardiac death. So that doesn't that, sound good. Yeah, I know, right? It's very dramatically neat. <laughs> um, if you've ever heard the stories or seen the news reports of like, you know, like 16 year old kid on the basketball court just falls over dead. Yeah. That's sudden cardiac death, uh, uh, usually caused by ventricular fibrillation. I always and, thought it was too much cocaine, like limb bias. Well, you wouldn't be alone. Uh, because I spent a week in Beth Israel trying to convince everybody that I did not party that. Night. <laughs> oh, jeez! Uh, they did not want to believe me. They tested me out the wazoo, and I'm really kind of like glad I never messed around with it. Because if I had ever even tried it, I probably would have just dropped dead. Oh wow! Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh my god. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was always I never liked things going up my nose. So I was like, yeah, no. I don't yeah. Even like I don't even like nasal sprays. So I was like, no. <laughs> well, that's why I, I I've never really done drugs. I can't smoke things. I can't inhale stuff like that. I I can drink stuff fine. You, you right. make a something in, into a liquid form. I'm good. But right, right, right. But all right. So they they gave you a defibrillator then. Correct. Was that, is that because that's the only thing they could think to do? Exactly. Yeah. It's like it's an insurance policy. It's basically wow. uh, so like if you have this heart attack. This little defibrillator that they put in your chest um, will sense that, and it will defib you like like they do with paddles. Like they go clear, and it gives you 700, 700, 700 volts, I think, uh, to the heart, like that. And um, it hurts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would imagine it's probably yeah. that's probably an understatement. Yeah, yeah, it hurts. You feel it. So, and now I read I read a story where. You were playing at the double door. Yeah. And do you want to tell the story? And, and, and Sure. So we were uh, on tour with Local H. And this is not too long after I got my first defibrillator put in. So, you know, I think it was the first tour that I had done, like, after having, like, this these major, like, health scare. Everybody, you know, like, I spent a week in the hospital. Everybody's like, you're going to need a heart transplant. Uh, or, you know, at first they're like, he's dead he's basically like get your organ donation ready and then, wow. then they're like oh he's gonna need a heart transplant and then they're like oh actually no he's not whatever so i come out of that <laughs> I, I spend a few few weeks like convalescing getting a little bit stronger a little bit stronger i've got this machine in my tat my chest now i've got a wire that's still there that's like an experimental wire that i had to sign a bunch of like paperwork on because they're like we don't know if it works but you know, we're gonna find out with you like, <laughs> yeah you're gonna be our guinea pig we just stick it in you let's know how it feels later yeah exactly <laughs> uh so so then i go on tour right and i was just starting to like build up my confidence again and feeling strong again so we played uh double door which is in chicago uh it was relatively new in the tour i want to say like maybe a week or so out um, I don't know if you've ever been to the Double Door in Chicago, but it's like it's this great old shithole giant like place. But it's definitely a little rough around the edges. And okay. for whatever reason that day, their air conditioning system had broken. Oh. Uh, and it was one of those like super hot like Chicago like summertime days. Um, and 
we were going on like right before local H who are local guys and they have a huge fan base there. So the place is absolutely to the wall, like filled. Oh yeah. They're really good. Yeah. Yeah. They're awesome. With, with a bunch of like, you know, angry brothers who were like, (laughs) you better not suck, bro. Um, so, um, so we played and you know, I, I was feeling it and I really went for it and I went for it a little bit too hard. Uh, so I was doing something where I'm pretty sure I was windmilling a mic stand over my head while uh, uh, barking in time with <laughs> snare hits, which speed up at the end of a song. And oh, uh, at the end of the song, I was like, you know, bark, 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 swinging the mic stand. And I sort of fell down. Uh, I grabbed Damien and we just slipped and fell. I, there was no problem. It was just too much chaos slipped and fell on the stage normal giraffe show crap (laughs) and as i'm getting as i'm going to get up i start going to sit up and and when the defibrillator starts charging up it's it's a lot like uh when a flash charges you hear that like boom yep and 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 it defibbed me really hard and that was the first time that i had actually felt it uh while being not dead so it kicked my ass It, it basically feels like someone winding up with a baseball bat and hitting you as hard as they could, but they go through your chest and just hit your heart. Oh my God. So you, you, when it hits, you can feel the difference between the muscle that is your heart and everything else that's around it. So like, it's like a flash going off in a dark room where you can sort of see it. Yeah. Or feel it, you know? Yeah. Um, so that one goes off and then I sort of like scramble to my feet and I get up and I'm like looking back and forth. I'm like, wait a minute, did that just happen? Is this happening right now? And, um, everybody's just sort of looking at me like, what are you doing? And I looked at Andrew, the drummer, and he's like, what? And I, and I went, wait. And it goes, boom. And it hits me again. Oh my God. And he's like, he's like, dude, what? I apparently I jumped way up in the air. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, what the fuck is going on, man? And I was like, my defibrillator is like shocking me. And he's like, what? I was like, it's shocking me. He's like, wait a minute. What do you mean? And I was like, come on and hit me again. Oh my God. And I was like, shit. <laughs> and then, so like at that point I'm just in like emergency mode and I'm like, I can't freak out. I have to like calm my breathing I have to like, you know what I mean? So I'm yeah. doing a thing where like, I'm like, I have to lower my heart rate now. So I'm doing a thing where like, after I ex- exhale, I'm holding the breath out. And then when I, even though like I needed to breathe heavy, I'm like close to passing out. I'm like freaking out, but I'm forcing myself to not hyperventilate. Oh my God. And luckily, and I'm listening to like my heart rate and I'm trying to get it counting and I, I feel it starting to go down. Um, and then, you know, it, comes back to me that like we're on stage and I'm like, I I look around and I look at the band and they're looking at me and I'm looking at them and they're like, what the fuck are we going to do? And I look at the crowd and they're looking at us like, what the fuck? (laughs) I guess we should keep playing. guys." (laughs) So, so, So we finished the set and, um, I got off the stage and walked out straight through the crowd like i didn't go off backstage i just stepped off the front of the stage was like yeah thanks because i saw the doors at the back and i walked straight through the doors right on into the street got the first cab i could and i was like take me to the hospital right now and uh, i went to the hospital and i spent the rest of the night there so waiting for the uh machine the the machine maker the implant maker representative to get woken up and come out and like you know 
glad hand me and tell me how awesome it was that that happened. Oh, I found out later uh, from the same cardiologist that told me the like, you know, I'm not saying no one ever had it, that just they didn't live long enough. The same guy yeah. was like, uh, wait a minute, you got shot three times. I was like, yeah. He's like, you know, it's uh, it's very uncommon for people to survive the fourth shock. And I was like, what? Oh, oh my. And he's like, it's very bad. And I was like, you could have told me that. Oh, you know? oh my God. So I was like, all right, thanks. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess what else, what else are you supposed to say at that point? I know, right? Like, you know, he, yeah, not the best bedside manner. Um, oh so anyway, so God. at the end of that whole process, uh, I think I wound up getting back to a hotel room at like, four or five in the morning where we were staying and I didn't really sleep that well for the next couple of days. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that I, at first I thought it was nerves, but I've, I've been shocked enough now to know that like it, you also wind up with like a lot of like fucking excess energy in your body after that. Really? Like I think I, I really think it just has to be something that's like I've got 700 volts still in me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's got to come out it's somehow. That shit out. Oh yeah. my god. Do you get shocked very often? Um so so far at this point I have had six heart attacks. Uh it saved me from all of them. Um, you know, I'm here. Wow. Uh it saved me from the other four, I guess, that I've had. Uh the first two uh I just got lucky. Right, right. Um, wow. And uh yeah, so and I'm on my second one now. They've replaced it once already. Oh my god. Um, so, you know, yeah, well, the battery wears out after a certain point in time. You know well, what I mean? Like, yeah, like I mean, how many can, times can yeah. it blow 700 volts out? Well, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, they, they they told me it will last up to 10 years or 250 defibs, whichever comes first. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. And there are people who get it, like, all the time. Oh, my God. You know God. what I mean? There was even a medical story about a guy when they first made these things, when they were, they were brand new to the market, there was a guy who was getting defibbed every time he took a shit. <laughs> what? Yeah. Poor guy. Because apparently they used to put the implant, not like right now it's, it's underneath my collarbone, like, you know, underneath the skin in the chest. It's like in a little right. pouch on okay. my chest. Um, and, but back when they first started doing that, they were putting it sort of like on like, your hip, like in your lower back area, that's where they thought it was like, oh, we'll keep it close to your center of gravity so it won't bounce around as much. It's like, I don't know what they're thinking. So yeah, every okay. time this guy would sit down and strain on the toilet, he would fucking get shocked. Oh, which is insane. Gee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's horrible. Yeah, I can't, I mean, that, uh, I can't imagine a worse way to go. No, that's pretty bad. God, because, I mean, Damn, I don't know. I can't even imagine how many shits I take in a day. But yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> it's like I look forward to it sometimes, and that 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 would really kill that. Yeah, no, yeah, dude. And right, and so, and your guitarist, Damien, yeah. is a guitarist, right? Correct. So he was shot in the leg outside of a White Castle. Yep, being smart. Being, <laughs> being smart. <laughs> <laughs> What uh, I know. So the story, how? What is that story? So this story is. Um, this was. I'm trying to remember the year, but it was like early on when we were still like raging maniacs. <laughs> um, and 
I remember we had started making a little bit of money and he went out and got a uh, 62 or 63 Gibson Melody Maker, which is Ooh. like, you know, like they're not super expensive, but it was nice for him at the time. Yeah. And it was the first like actually nice guitar that he had ever got. You know what I mean? And it was his, you know, that was Yo, his baby. Yeah. I, I think he got to play two whole shows with it. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and we played a particularly like crazy set at a club that we used to play at all the time called Lux, where I remember the crowd duct taped me to the mic stand. Um, someone in the crowd had a roll of duct tape. So while I was, they blinded me with some like beer, I got beer in my eyes. And the next thing I know, there's just tape around my hands, around the mic stand and the mic. Oh my God. Yeah. And like, I remember somebody else had picked up the, the monitors on the stage and was just, you know, waving it over their head while we played and stuff. It was, it was a bonkers show. <laughs> so, so Damien was crowd surfing while playing. Um, and he had a bad landing. Like they just sort of like just chucked him back up on the stage and <laughs> landed on his guitar. And it, of course it just went kaboosh. Oh yeah. To like a million pieces. Oh. And he, you know, he borrowed a guitar from somebody else and finished the show. And then, you know, at the end of the night, I remember walking out of the club and then Damien's like, Hey, me and my two friends are going to go to me and the guys are going to go, going to go drinking, man. We got to like, you know, we got to send off the guitar in style. And I was like, yeah. He's like, you want to come? I was like, mm. he's like, first, we're going to go to White Castle. I was like, that's a hard no for me. No, thank you. <laughs> Have fun. It's <laughs> like, no. Oh, man, I love White Castle. <laughs> uh, not not my thing, man. Oh, So I was man. like, I, you know, White Castle at 2 a.m.? Don't think so. It's not a, yeah, it's not a good place to be at 2 a.m., yeah, but I still love White Castle. I'll I'll go in the afternoon, but not yeah, not too late. <laughs> so, so the next morning I'm at work and I get a phone call from reception. It's like Aaron, it's Damien calling you, and I'm already like hurting from the night before. And I pick up the phone, pissed off, like, "Why are you calling me at work? What the fuck do you want?" And he's like, <laughs> "Hey, what's up, man?" I was like, "What's going on?" He's like, "Hey," I was like, "What's wrong with you, dude?" He's like, "I got shot, kid," <laughs> and I was like, "What?" <laughs> He's like, yeah, I got shot. I'm in the hospital. I was like, what the fuck happened? So I had to like, I had to piece this together. Apparently, the story is is that after the show, he left with his two buddies and went to White Castle. And when they were at White Castle, they were there, and of course, it's the usual late night drunk, you know, maniac crowd. Yeah. And there was this older guy who had like silver hair that was just apparently talking shit to everybody. He had a hat, and uh, you know white hair but he was being a complete dick to everyone he's like fucking with people oh, so they man. started fucking back with him you know what i mean like of course oh like yeah teasing him and shit and they're talking shit to him they get into some sort of like whatever insult match he pulls out a gun which is 22 or something like that wow and they thought it was a toy so they started calling him duck hunt oh god um, right so then they leave the White Castle, and they go off to whatever bar they were going to go to. And as they were walking down the block, they hear the door open, and they look back, and there's Duck Hunt. So they're like, "Oh, Duck Hunt's following us!" So they turn around and they go, "What's going on, Duck Hunt? You gonna, you know, what, what do you want?" Like they start squaring off with them. Oh, apparently, Damien saw a broken chair in the trash, so he picked up the chair and put it on his shoulder, and they walked up to him. And the and Duck Hunt looks at him and goes, "Oh, you got a chair, huh?" And Damien's like, yeah, I got a chair. And Duck Hunt goes, cool. Bang! And, like, shoots him in the leg. Oh, my God. 
And I saw the surveillance video of this after the fact because there was a court case. There was a whole thing. Wow. Uh, and you can see them sort of like square up. It's pretty hard to figure out what's going on. And then you see like something fall off of one guy's shoulder and then everybody scatters. Like oh that's all God. you can see. Yeah. <laughs> so I figure that's a chair. Um, so Damien goes off in one direction. Uh, his two friends go off in another direction and Duck Hunt chases the two friends. Oh, so God. Duck Hunt is hunting the two friends. He chases them across the street into like a bodega or like a little corner shop. They get in there. They close the door. They bar the door. Right. And they're like, is there a phone? Is there a phone? They, the guy's like, yeah, there's a phone over here. I saw the whole thing. So they're trying to call the cops there. Duck Hunt is trying to barge in the door. He gets in part of the way. They punch him in the face several times to get him out of there. And finally, he gives up and runs away. Meanwhile, Damien runs off into the night, shot in the leg. He got shot just below his knee. Um, oh my and God. so he, he's hopping, he's hopping and he sees a bus. So it's like, shit, at least there's a bus. So he goes to the bus and, and, and the bus driver opens the door and is like, pay your fare. And he's like, but, but he's like, pay your fare. He's like, hold on. He gets on the bus and the bus driver's like, pay your fare, man. He's like, but I got shot in the leg. And he's like, what? He looks at him. He's like, yeah, you got shot in the leg. And he closes <laughs> the door. Right. He Thanks for confirmation. Right. There's like two or three people on there who are like just staring at him like, what the fuck? And Damien's like, hey, uh, does this go anywhere near a hospital? And the bus driver goes, yeah, sort of. Yeah. Oh, right? God. <laughs> right? <laughs> the guy doesn't fucking call anyone. He doesn't call like an ambulance. He doesn't call a cop. Oh he doesn't God. call for any help. He pulls up within sight of a hospital at the end of his route. It's a hospital called Woodhall in Brooklyn. The name Woodhall should give you a picture oh. of basically how good this place is. It's called Wood Hall. Yeah, I'm getting a, I'm getting right. an, an image right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not where you want to be. Oh. No. So um, so he's like, yeah, he's like last stop, everybody off. Okay. And Damien's like, I got shot in the fucking leg, man. You can't take me like half a block to the He's like, get off my bus. Oh my god. He's like you're bleeding on my bus. Get the fuck out of here. So Damien had to get off the bus and hop on one leg into the emergency room with a bullet oh my in his God. leg. And then once he got into the emergency room, they saw him. They took him. They put him in a chair. They left him in the hall for a long ass time. There was like a lady next to him who's like, who's blind, who's like, I've been here for three days. No, it's <laughs> like he's a fucking house of horrors, right? Oh so, my God. Yeah, just so bad. So he gets looked at, he gets taken care of, uh, more or less. They move him to a different hospital. Um, his mother, <laughs> he calls his mom. He's like, mom, I've been shot. She's like, okay, you've been shot. All right. Where were you shot? He's like, I was shot in the leg. She's like, okay, shot in the leg. That doesn't sound like it's too bad. He's like, no, no, I'm going to be all right. He's like, okay, all right. I'm going to come get you. What, where are you at? It's like, I'm in the hospital. She's like, I know that. Which hospital? <laughs> like, I'm in Woodhall. Woodhall! Oh my god! That's when she freaked out. Right? So it was, it was uh, all cool up until it was all cool up until where where are you? Exactly right. Yeah. So so they get him out of there. You know, this of course is after nine eleven. So um, it turns out the guy who shot him is a fucking fire marshal. Oh my god! He's a fire marshal who's you know the local coke dealer. Also. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why he was out. He was working. Side you know hustle. I mean? Yeah, totally. 
so um he he uh he immediately went to the precinct to his buddies on the force and was like these kids jumped me i think i shot one of them uh you know you got to look out for me so basically the cops took his story over damien's and damien wound up with the he had to plea to a felony conviction oh my avoid, god even with avoid the... jail time yeah even with the bullet still in his leg it's still and, and the, the security footage yes that, well, that's the thing is like that's why we saw the security footage because like it was at the time it was like should I just take this deal or should I fight it? And I'm like, dude, you should fucking fight this. Yeah. And he's like, well, we just got the security footage. And I, and I looked at it and I was like, this is really fucking hard to draw any conclusions from. I was like, dude, you should still fight it. But like, this doesn't help wow. or hurt you. This is like totally inconclusive. Oh, geez. So, yeah. So he wound up taking the plea, um, which was, which led to like us being turned away at the Canadian border so many times. Oh, geez. Um, and it also, that also meant that we weren't able to tour internationally for a long time. Although when he did go out with Interpol guy, Paul Banks, I just remembered his name. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> Paul Banks was able to afford some lawyers who got all his paperwork in order and stuff like that. So Damien can now travel internationally. Oh, well, so, good news. Yeah. yeah good for him. <laughs> so. Oh man. All right. So you guys have a new album coming out. And I've had a chance to listen to it, and I love it. It's it's definitely heavy on, on like the awesome '70s stoner type of riffs, and it's it's just a really fun album to listen to. Was it? Did you guys record it like you normally do? With they brought in all the music, and and you came up with lyrics around it, except for the song "Romance," which we already talked about. Correct. Yeah. So basically, that's how. It, I mean, we started working on it a long time ago. Um, I quit the band for a while just because I'd had it. Right, 2011. Yeah, and and then uh, I got convinced to join back up. So before we go too far, what what were you doing between was it 2011 and 2014? Yeah, um, I did a bunch of like stuff on the side, solo stuff. Um, I tried to not play music that lasted about six months, um, okay. and then everyone who knew me was like, "Dude, just, just start playing music again. You're becoming a complete fucking asshole." Like I can't. <laughs> you <laughs> so, you going, did you go back into your your art and, and doing your design because you've got a website with your some yeah your i do do design it. yeah i do that that's my day job basically so um going to art school basically taught me how to like do graphic design on the side so, okay well yeah. i i like your 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 logo on your on your personal website it's it's hmm. really it's you know it's very I'm, I'm going to say it's it's very alpha because you've got this big A and it looks like you got this big dick coming out of it. And it just hits the ground and, and it's like so big it's bending on the ground. Like it hits the ground and keeps going. And it's you're just, just a stupid monogram. And you're just it's throwing it out there. <laughs> no, it's just my initials. It's oh, okay. ACL and the one like thing. So that's, okay, you saw, hey, man, you saw, I'm not going to judge you. You saw a dick. So that's it's just funny. me. Man. It's okay. That's just you. All that's, right. That's fine. I thought it was like alpha male kind of, you know, I'll, I'll get you your damn design. I'll right, show you right, yeah. how this is going to be. Yeah. Okay. So that's just me. All right. So, <laughs> but you, your design work is really good. I, I really, Thanks. really enjoyed looking through your, your portfolio. And how did some of that come about? Did you, were you I needed uh, a job. Uh, so yeah. Uh, when giraffes was touring a lot, um, and obviously, like, you know, I had done some artist assisting, you know, that sort of stuff. But that's like very full time. That's like 
and you don't get paid hardly anything. And like I worked in galleries and that, all the stuff that you expect someone to go to art school to do. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I did all that shit. Um, and it was fine, but it was just extremely low pay, uh, a lot of hours. And I was like, screw this. I'm playing music now. So I would go play music and then I would come back and I would find myself like I would need to get a job every time we weren't touring. We'd come back from tour. I'd need to get a new job. Yeah. So at the time I was dating a girl who worked in fashion and she's like, oh, you could probably just get a job just by like putting together a portfolio and like, you know, just showing it to people. So I put together a fake fashion portfolio that I threw in a weekend. <laughs> I made a fake fashion portfolio <laughs> nice. and totally lied on my resume and got like a ton of jobs doing that. Nice. Um, and then over time, always on the side, I was always doing graphic design for like bands and like, you know, my bands and my friends' bands and like other stuff that I liked. And then they just sort of like merged together. Like I was working doing fashion stuff at Ralph Lauren and then they're like, hey, we need someone in the graphics department. And I just sort of slid in there. And I did graphics at Ralph Lauren for a while. And then from then on out, I moved into what I do now. So that's a friend of mine in New York who has a band now gone, I think, but it was called Fresh Kills, um, had a great line where he's in one of his songs where he says, we wanted to be pirates, but we grew up to be graphic designers. (laughs) Which is totally true. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. And you ended up, uh, did you is that how you got the uh the work doing uh boss hogs video in 2017 yeah basically uh how did i, I love meet boss them? Hog. i love boss hog too and I, I was a huge john spencer blues explosion fan oh yeah still am um i would be a fan of christina to be honest yeah yeah she's she's a trip man um <laughs> i met them uh you know like we'd cross paths with them once or twice but uh, my other band outside of the drafts, a band called Don't, uh, we were working on our first record and we sort of were like, oh, what are we going to do? And we we're like, well, who do we like? So I was like, John Spencer. So we just sort of like cold emailed him out of the blue, like, hey, John, you know, would you like to be involved with this? And he was like, yeah, sure. He listened to it and he's like, I like it. Let's do let's do something. Like, holy shit! <laughs> so like that was easy. Yeah. So uh, you know, I got friendly with them through that, and I got them that meet Christina through that. And um, when they got together and they were putting together that their last release, uh, they're like, "Hey, we need to uh, do a video, and we liked some of the videos that you did. Like, would you be willing to do something?" I was like, "Sure." So we put together a shoot in my sister-in-law's palatial estate up in the Catskills, and. Did a quick, did a, we worked one night shoot and, uh, um, wow. that, that's that. Yeah. That's, that's impressive because it's a really great video and it's just Thanks. one night. That's crazy. Yeah. That was all shot in one night. So with everybody partying it up. <laughs> and do you do all the, uh, the artwork and the design for the drafts? For the most part. Yeah. Um, some of it I've, I've learned to let go of. I mean, at this point, uh, the world being what it is, I think more is kind of more like I used to be sort of like, no, I do all that. And now it's sort of like, you know what? No, if somebody wants to do something like fucking go for it, the crazier, the better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, back to the album. Um, and we've already talked about romance. It's, it's definitely my favorite song on the album. Thank um, you. But I, I love songs like Philip glass. Um, thanks. There's uh golden door. Now, Philip glass to me, yeah. it's really that that sounds like a song where everybody came up with their own ideas and midway by the, by the time it like is 
it almost sounds like three different songs kind of came together. And then yeah. about midway through, everything is making total sense at that point. And right. you're doing this fantastic scene because, you, like I said before, you've got this aggressive style, but you also do a little crooning and actual singing, and it it's fantastic in that album or in, in that you. song particularly. Thank you. Yeah, that, that I, I like that one too. Um, that one that that came from a long-standing idea of you know there's that riff that's a, like very arpeggiated like yeah yeah. Um, you know, that was just something that Damien was like noodling around with. And I was like, dude, we should flip the formula. And instead of doing that as like a solo or something like that, just make that be the bed. Put that underneath the verse. And he's That's like, awesome. really? I got to play that through the whole song? I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah you, I was like, you got to play that through the whole song, man. Like, fucking get used to it. That's man. a total Northeastern response to something like that. Yeah, total New York. <laughs> hey, I got this great idea. It's gonna be great. You mean I gotta do this <laughs> the whole time? <laughs> yeah. And it's the, the solo at the end is awesome. I love it. Yeah, man. yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's a weirdo, man. You know, I mean, he's he's one of those guys that like works better when you when he's under pressure when he's like uncomfortable. So, boy, it it, it especially it really worked in that song and. Thanks. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your singing influences because the singing is great. I can hear and, and tell me, you can tell me if, if I'm full of shit or not, but uh, I, I hear a little influence of maybe like, like a Mike Patton or a Jimmy Necco. I don't wait, Jimmy Necco. I know who Mike Patton is. Who's Jimmy Necco? Jimmy Necco is in a band called ours. And, um, Oh, I've heard the name before. In fact, I think someone was like, this guy sounds like you. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. Really? And I think I've heard that before. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, Lana so, Del Rey wrote a song about him. Ah, uh, okay. Right. I didn't I didn't know at the time because I, I, I was more to the band Hours than Lana Del Rey. So. Right, 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 right. But um, he's got this like Jeff Buckley quality okay. to his voice. But but then he can really belt out some like metal, Chris Cornell kind of scream. Right, right, right. Screening, screaming tunefully. That's uh, exactly that's, Look, as far as I'm concerned, anyone who screams tunefully just really just wants to be Prince. Like, that's really what it all comes down to. Like, we all just want to be Prince, but we're not. Yeah, um, no, nobody. I, I think everybody will probably tell you that. Like, <laughs> seriously. Like, so, if you can, Prince can scream tunefully in falsetto. Like, that just doesn't make sense. No, but of course, um, he's also like five, well, was like yeah. five, six and can dunk. Yeah, no, so, yeah, like it's just, it just doesn't make sense. There's some people who are just better at everything. Yeah, yeah, and, and um, he was. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, so for me, it seemed like I'm trying to think of where this first germinated from. I wanted to say I, I was a huge David Bowie fan, oh. and I still am. And there was like a period of time, like his. It's super awkward. But that like 90s era Bowie where he was doing stuff with Nine Inch Nails, there was some stuff oh. that he was starting to approach. Nine Inch Bowie. I, that's, I saw him on tour uh, at a little yeah, tiny club yeah. in New York. Yeah, yeah. Like that whole tour, that whole era. Like that. I mean, that's not his strongest era, but there was some stuff going on in there that gave me, I think it planted the seed where I was like, okay, he 
there's aggressive music, but with an almost like a fake, like, you know, croon on top of it. Like yeah. A fake, like the whole outside person. album. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's the record. Like there's this fucking Frank Sinatra bullshit going on top of like aggressive, weird prog rock. I was <laughs> yeah. like, that's weird. And, but I really gravitated towards that idea because I was like, I, I was kind of, I could see where like sort of aggressive music was just kind of edging its way into screamo. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and which is why I always really loved like Jesus lizard and now like daughters carries that like yeah. board as well, because like they, ne- like daughters started in the scream territory, but then just kind of realized, I think much to their benefit that like just kind of telling a story as a stressed out person is actually way more impactful <laughs> yeah. than, than screaming it at you. About you possibly can't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it seemed to me that like, you know, taking that approach was just more interesting. You know what I mean? Like it it just felt more, more right to me. So that's what I wanted to try to accomplish. The the difficulty in doing that sort of thing is that you can really get cheesy really, really quickly. And I'm definitely guilty of going there. (laughs) Um, uh, But that's not the main, I I don't want to not do something because I'm afraid it's going to be cheesy. I would rather do it. And then, fuck with it you know what i mean like try to recontextualize things like yeah has the heart attack and and defibrillator and kids has that changed the way you approach writing and performing and or music oh yeah of course of course um but the thing is is that i'm gonna put this when you perform you get extra credit for and every every and any little thing you do when you're on stage. Right. Okay. So that can either work for you or that can work against you. So like if you're on stage and you're like a little self-conscious and you're a little like into yourself and you're a little like not fully confident in what you're doing or not fully there, I like, I can smell that a mile away and I can see it. And, and I know instantly it's like they are insecure. Now you can use that to your own benefit or not. Personally, for the drafts, I don't think it would benefit the band. And it's happened before where like, I've had like bad shows or something. The bad shows are usually the shows where they're either the shows where I'm too insecure or I'm too confident. <laughs> <laughs> right? So um, as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that like maybe punching someone in the face and then like crawling between the crowd's feet on the floor when they don't know where the hell you are. <laughs> Maybe that's not the best show in the world. <laughs> it's a you memorable know? one. It's a memorable one, but I mean, you know, I you can always do that. You know what I mean? If the moment that's calls for it, like that's the thing that like I really like now is like because once you've played songs and you've played on stage for enough, it kind of becomes sort of like rote. You know, like you're kind of just there, and you're going. You know, like okay. it's 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 all automatic. Um, so to keep it interesting, like, you know, it's, it's fun to like, like have little games that you'll play with yourself or like, you, you'll try to like break the rules or bend the rules as much as you can, or, or, you know, go against like what you've done before, like that sort of stuff. That's what's fun for me. It's like fucking with people, keeping people involved, like crowd control that, or, you, you know, like, like anything like that, that, and, and it never really came from a from for me usually it never came from a place of like i'm going to destroy each and every single human being in this room and fuck them right. it was never that for me okay Although, 
I have had those nights. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for me, it was more about like, this should not, there should not be a wall between the stage and the crowd. Like everyone is making this together. That's uh, awesome. So everyone needs to be involved. That's, that's awesome. I love hearing that. Cause the next question I have is, are you guys going to be touring to support this album? <laughs> yes, as much as we can. All right. Um, yeah. Are you going uh, to be booking it yourselves? Or are, you, are you having somebody else do it for you this time? Uh, we're doing it ourselves. Oh, my God. I mean, but if you know, like, a good uh, booking agent, I'm open to it. Um, <laughs> I'll keep my we eyes just had, Yeah. We just had, like, a death in the family, uh, in Damien's family. So, like, he oh, has geez. to, like, run off and take care of that. So we would have been uh, in... I think it was Rhode Island this past weekend, which we had to cancel at the last second, which I feel bad about. Well, but, that's uh, understandable. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you, we, how we're far doing are you the, guys planning to go? Because I don't know. I, I mean, would love for you guys to come down the DC area, Northern Virginia DC area, because I would so, love. Or, to yeah, show. that's what I was going. I was going to ask. We we can totally do that. Um, that would be yeah, amazing. We just need to set up the show. We're. I mean, I'm thinking. You know, Black Cat's still there. Black Cat's still here, 930 Club. There's, uh, oh, 930. Yeah, there's a ton yeah. of places to play. Um, I can hell, I, I can email you a list of places to play. In Please Houston. do. And uh, Please we'll, do. We'll, we'll, we'll get it going. You got yourself a deal. Awesome, man. Where can everybody find the album? When, when, is, the, when is the release date? The release date is August 2nd, um, and it will be out. I guess nationwide, maybe worldwide or something like that. You can stream it on all the usual streaming stuff. Uh, if you want to buy vinyl, uh, go to the giraffes.com. We got vinyl. We will sell it to you. It awesome. looks really good. <laughs> um, and it sounds good too. So, yeah. And I'll vouch for that because it's got a big, you know, 70s, a meaty 70s swagger to it. It's just, if you like stoner rock and, and early metal, like, Let's say Caius meets early Metallica. Sure, I'll take that. Let's 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 go with that. If you like those two bands, that's amazing. These guys are right for you. This is you're gonna you're gonna love it. And what's the name of the new album? Uh, it's called Flower of the Cosmos. All right, perfect. And do you guys have social media that people can follow you? And of course, you start yeah. touring, they can follow you. For sure, just look up the giraffes on all the social medias. Um, the giraffes Facebook, Instagram. I think we still have a Twitter account that's mostly. We're mostly on Instagram more than anything else. Oh, I love it. Um, I need to set up like a Reddit probably at some point. I just did that. I still yeah. don't completely understand Reddit, but I'm getting there. Yeah, my, my son's teaching me. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I, I really hate social media, but it does make publicizing shows easier. Yeah, it ab- absolutely, and it gives me a, an avenue to put this this show out. For sure, I do everything myself. I record, I book everybody, I record it, edit it, post it, do everything myself. So it's it's is a to to get honest, honestly to get guys like like you on. It, it's awesome to me because I love the music. I'm new. I'm a newer fan. And I've, I'm familiar with the band, been familiar with you guys for years, but since I, I found out you were coming on, I just did a deep dive and I've realized, damn it, I've missed so much. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really thrilled to, to be able to, to, to dive in and you guys are my new like YouTube rabbit hole. Sorry. Oh no, but, dude, it's great because I'm watching some old live shows and it's, it's, it's hilarious. 
It's amazing. <laughs> Thanks, man. Oh, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you guys you're spending so much time with me tonight. And I and I like meeting your daughter. That was a blast. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so it, She's asleep now, thank God. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.